Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out at our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. If you're a guest with us, thanks for being here. We hope you hear something that encourages you on your journey. And uh, yeah, we'd love to be available to answer questions, anything that we could do to help. We'd uh, be happy to do that. Uh, my name's Doyle. I'm one of the guys here. <laughs> that sounded weird. I'm one of the pastors here, maybe. I don't know. Uh, so uh, we're, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm so excited that we get to talk about this, the topics we're doing during this series, and, and today I'm going to talk one that's kind of dear to my heart. And, um, but I have to start with this. Uh, I am so grateful that God's in charge in my life. God's in charge. And no matter what happens, no matter what comes along, God's in charge. And I know that. And that changes, um, hopefully, the way I look at things, the way I think about things, the way I respond and react to things. And so God's in charge. And I want to begin with that and, and the gratitude that comes with that. And, uh, and then I want to talk about this series we're in, Paying Attention to the Tension. Pay Attention to the Tension. It's about uh, learning to live in the, in the messy middle. Last week we talked about kind of living between grace and truth, that, that uh, kind of, you know, our, and, and how to extend grace but remain um, committed to the truth. Uh, this week I want to talk about something a little different. More, uh, it's more of a time thing. It's, a, it's, it's the topic of the in-between be- in uh, already and not yet. In between already and not yet. Because in Christianity is an interesting thing. Because in Christianity, we are kind of in between people. So we are, in one sense, we're between the coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. If you understand theology, understand Christianity at all, Jesus' arrival was the beginning of the end times, and his arrival the second time will be the end of end times. And, and there'll be new heavens and new earth and all that. And so and chronologically, we're kind of in the in-between. Um, but there's also, on a personal level, we're in, in between. So there's so much happens in our, in our faith journey that is true now, but not fully true until then. So, for example, when I became a Christian, I was forgiven for all of my sins, right? The moment I became a Christian, except Jesus Christ, I was forgiven. And yet I'm not going to fully realize and experience that forgiveness completely uh, until I am in heaven. There's some passages about this, and I won't, I won't go to all of them. I'll go to a couple. Uh, about adoption. It talks about us being adopted in the family of God, and that is already true, but it's not yet fully realized or understood or experienced. Um, one of them is about redemption. It's in Ephesians 1, 7. In him, we have redemption. We have redemption through his blood. Then in Ephesians 4, 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So I'm already redeemed, and yet there is a day of redemption coming. So there is this already but not yet kind of thing. Sanctification, which sanctification is a fancy word for being more like Jesus. Uh, Dropping off the bad parts, acquiring some good parts. Fourth grade illustration right there. Uh, So um, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified already sanctified in Christ Jesus. Then in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. In other words, sanctified and being sanctified. So there is this sense in which kind of a judicial sense, I have been forgiven, I've been redeemed, I've been, I have been uh, uh, reconciled to God. But in an experiential sense, I will spend the rest of my life growing into that to become more like Christ. And so there is this already and not yet. Can, you make, does that make sense? I know it's kind of a weird theological thing. 
All right, you don't have to nod. It's okay, really. I'll just be up here by myself talking. It'll be great. Same thing is true of salvation, of true of being raised with Christ. Anyway, there's a bunch of them. So here's my experience. My experience is we, uh, we spend a lot of our time in life in the in-between, just as we do as Christians. The in-between, the dreaming and the coming true, the, the promises and the fulfillment, um, the where I want to be and, and where I actually am. And if we're going to spend that much time in the in-between, we ought to learn how to manage it. We ought to learn how to uh, not just manage it, but thrive in it. So today I want to talk about that, because if you're not in-between in some area of your life, you, you have been or you will be, uh, it's just a part of life. And I want to talk about how to manage the in-between, because if not, uh, we begin to think that living in the in-between is not the norm, that arrival is the norm. But so far in my life, and I've been around a little bit, um, arrival has not arrived either in my character development, my Christian faith, or just my world. Is that right? And so what happens is we get this kind of if and then thinking. It's driven by consumerism and all kinds of things. But it's if and then. If I bought that car, then I would be happy. About a day and a half until the first payment came due, right? right? Um, if I met that perfect person, then life would just be incredible. About a week and a half to realize they forgot to brush their teeth on a regular basis and it bugs you. Um, it's that if and then thing, but here's the deal. We do have a then, but it doesn't mean that we don't enjoy, we don't grow, we don't take advantage of the now. The then is someday we'll spend eternity in heaven with God. Until then, we don't arrive. But it doesn't mean that life isn't uh, incredible and meaningful and purposeful even now. So let me just give you some things to do when you find yourself in the in-between, stuck in the messy middle. You settle the matter. You settle a matter. So what does it mean to settle a matter? This right here means what? There's a ring, if you can't see it far. I'm married, right? Which means I am no longer single, searching, available, right? There are no other options. It is settled. For me, the mate thing is settled. My wife informs me if I ever become unsettled, she will settle it for me once again. It is settled, right? Parents, at least good parents, most parents, they bring that baby home from the hospital, they go, oh my God, I can't believe they gave us this kid to bring home. But what they don't do is go, I don't know if we should parent it or not. What do you think? Should we, should we parent it or not? Nope, you got him. He's yours. It's settled. And you can't turn your back. When they're about 13, you want to. Um, you know, not parent for a while, freeze them for a few years, but it's not going to happen. It's settled. There are things in life, and I want to suggest to you the very best things in life you settle on. You settle. You settle on who I'm going to love for the rest of my life. It's my wife. You settle. I'm going to parent these kids come, come good, bad, indifferent. You settle on some things. One of the things that happens to help you manage the middle or even take advantage of living in the in-between is to settle your spiritual journey, to settle on how you're going to take that, to settle on what you believe. So let me read this. It's, it's found in John 6, and Jesus talking to the disciples. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I love his honesty. It's like, no, you're great. We've been, no, it's like, what else is there? It's kind of funny. Actually, I kind of like it. He says, you have the words of eternal life. That's a positive affirmation. We have come to, and listen, this is a really important phrase. You may want to write this down somewhere. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, it's fairly, it's fairly early on in Peter's understanding of who Christ is. And yet already he knows that there are no other options. There's no other place to go. 
And so one of the things we do when we settle something, we say there are no other options. This ring means there are no other options for me. Uh, it's uh, no other options. So when it comes to our relationship with Christ, we've got to decide that there are no other options. So re- recently, it's interesting. I read a couple, just this week, I read a couple of people who uh, one once called themselves a Christian, the other one still calls themselves a Christian, saying a couple of just things that I'm having a hard time understanding. One said uh, that, uh, that um, I believe in all the, the precepts and the, the behaviors and the attitudes of Christianity I, I just don't believe in Jesus. In other words, I want to be a nice guy. I want everybody else to be a nice guy. I want us to all love each other, but I, I, don't, I don't want Jesus involved in the mix. Well, I got bad news for you. Without divine intervention, we're not going to love everybody because at the core of who we are, we are selfish. You're selfish and I'm selfish. And that let's all just love everybody is silly if we think we're going to do it on our own. Here's, here's the real problem with this person. The real problem with this person is they want God's kingdom, but not the king, because they don't want to submit to the king. In order to get to the love everybody part, you've got to let the king change your heart and change your mind, change your attitude, and remove the selfishness and fill it with, oh yeah, the love that you're going to share with everybody. A lot of Christians want Christianity without Christ. It doesn't work. We all need a savior, but we don't want the savior. We just want the saving. Right? But you got to settle once and for all. Who is Jesus to me? Is he, is he a good teacher? Was he a nice guy? Did he not exist? Which, by the way, historically, it's pretty hard to believe that. Um, or is he who he said he was? And he came to do exactly what he did. And because of that, I can be reconciled to God. I can be a part of his kingdom because I have a king. It's called lordship. We are settling the lordship of Christ, not to be debated, not to be thought about every time. He's in charge because once you put him in charge, then the outcomes are his, not yours. And you can stop struggling and striving. You you still work hard. You still do your stuff, but the outcomes are his if he's the Lord of your life. Another, another thing is not just settling lordship, but settling the exclusivity of the gospel. So the other uh, person I, I, I read was, um, said they were Christian. And then they went on to say, but it doesn't matter what you are, as long as you believe really strong enough. That's all that matters. If you just really believe whatever it is you believe really strongly, you're okay. And I thought to myself, and in my old illustration is, I can believe I'm a Corvette. I can paint myself red. I can sleep in the garage, but I'm still going to get run over on the freeway. Because in reality, I'm not a Corvette. The reality is Jesus said he was the only way. So you can't say Jesus is one of the many ways when he said he was the only way. C.S. Lewis taught us this. He's either lying or he's crazy or he is the only way. You got to settle that. It's called the exclusive of the gospel. I have a, I have a, um, a friend uh, many years ago, who I was trying to help them come to understand Christianity and come to faith. And they eventually did. But the big hurdle for them for the longest time was they'd been raised in, in their families from another country, had a specific religious system, very much related to how their ancestors had behaved. And for them to believe Jesus was the only way meant they turned their back on centuries of belief. And it was so hard to believe that Jesus was the only way. But at least be honest enough, if you can't come to believe Jesus is the only way, at least be honest enough that he didn't want to be included as one of many. Let me, let me further that argument for you just a bit. If Jesus is one of many paths to God, then why did he die on a cross? The reason he died on the cross is only one way to be reconciled to God, and only he could do it. 
If he was many ways, he could have taught good stuff, had a good life, raised a couple of kids, call it a day. But he didn't. He died so that God's divine justice system upon which all other justice is based could be satisfied. And he was the only one who could do that. So you settle for yourself, who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus? Is he who he says he is? Another way to settle this also for some of us is to realize that when you get to heaven, they're not going to ask your last name to see if you get in or not. Because it's not your family that gets into heaven. It's not even this church, by the way. They're going to tell you you made a good choice, but that's not going to get you in heaven. What's going to happen is, do you know Jesus? And does he know you? A personal faith. Settle for yourself that I personally, not my family, not my ancestors, my, me, I have a relationship with Christ. And that he is the Lord of my life and the Savior of my soul and the only one who could do that. And when you settle that, everything else begins to fall into place. If you're waffling on that, if you're waffling on that, everything else is just is quicksand, right? The Bible says that, that, that a double-minded man or woman is unstable in all their ways. It, once you settle this, that he's in charge and he is who he said he was, then everything else becomes clear. Everything else, even in the in-between where there's so much confusion surrounding you, the future is unknown, it becomes clear. So you need to reach kind of a, 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 a conviction, if I can use that phrase, and I'll, I'll refer to it in a moment. Then you begin to realize that you can stay on course. You're not always looking for greener pastures because lordship, obedience is all predetermined and established. And then you, you begin to, something happens. So there's an interesting thing in this phrase, in this passage I read it in verse 69 of John 6. And it was, we have come to believe and to know. Now, I don't, I don't know if this was written that it came, believe and know came at the same time. But it seems to me like, and in my experience, I think this is how it works. Um, I started to believe and then I began to know. And for me, believing led knowing. And so when I came to Christ, um, I really did believe. I, I believed that, and it wasn't just because all this stuff added up, because faith doesn't always add up completely, but it adds up more than anything else. It's interesting for me, having traveled a lot, and I think others who have traveled a lot would agree, uh, when people just start dogging our country, and we got issues, we got stuff, I know we got stuff, and they start saying, what a terrible country, it ought to be torn down, I want to say, you're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. I have traveled practically all over the world. This is the best country in the world. It just is. And we can't be, and we can't be acting like it's not. And, and I just, I, I think to myself, why, why, yeah, we're not perfect, but we're better than anything else I've seen anywhere else. It's kind of, it's kind of what the disciples are saying. Jesus, we got it all figured out. Peter, I didn't have it all figured out, but you're better than anything else. <laughs> we're going to start there. So they started believing based on this is the best thing going. They start believing, and then, and then the, I believe the knowing comes. So, for example, I, I, I just really, you know, I started believing in Jesus. I, I was raised in a Christian home, but I kind of took a left turn when I was a teenager and did stupid stuff. And, and I came back because I just started to believe. I didn't know, no, but I believed. And the more I believed, the more I came to know, and the more I saw God's truth in his word as I studied it, and the more I saw operating in my life, and, and the less the doubt was there, and, and the more the believing and the knowing was growing. And when I, I don't know, 30 years ago, you came to me and you kind of challenged my faith. That would kind of come back at you. I see a Christian doing this a lot because you challenge somebody's faith or you make fun of it or you see some person on TV, you know, claiming there is no God and only ignorant people believe in God or whatever. 
And I used to kind of get a little defensive. And I see Christians doing this. But I have to tell you the honest to goodness truth is I have come to believe more and more and know because I've seen God work in my life. I've seen God, God's word be true. I've seen his advice in Proverbs make perfect sense. I, I, he's led me. I've, there's, there's a knowing that comes from following Jesus. And, being, and now when I hear that, I don't, I don't get all fired up. I kind of get sad because they'll never know what I know. They'll never know who's truly in charge of the outcomes. They'll never know that their life has a greater purpose and meaning, and the thing that they're crusading for is going to leave them empty, but there is something that could fill them up, give them meaning and purpose and a forever. You see, I know that now. I'm not guessing that. I'm not just hoping that. I know that. He's just done too much. I've seen too much to turn back. They, the disciples said, we believe and know. See, that's conviction for me. I have a strong conviction about who God is. It's based on truth. It's supported by my experience. I have convictions. I have convictions that raising a family the way the Bible says to raise a family is the best way to raise a family. I have convictions about not letting lust invade your life, not looking at pornography. I have convictions because I know I have believed and I know it to be true. And when your faith when you choose to believe, the knowing will follow along as you grow in your faith. And one of the things that will sustain you when you're in the middle of something you can't figure out, you can't understand, you can't extricate yourself from, is knowing God's, he's the Lord of my life. He's in charge. My thing is to be in obedience. He's got the outcomes. My thing is to be obedient. So that leads us to the next thing. So you, you settle some things in your life about the relationship with Christ. And then, and then you uh, submit to the middle is kind of the way I'd say it. You submit to that messy middle, the in-between part, the not knowing. And, and it's, it's the process of living in the middle that actually does something really powerful and important. There's these two stories in Mark chapter 5 specifically that I want to point out. And one of them is a guy named Jairus. He's got a kid who's a little daughter who's 12 years old. He's dying comes, asks Jesus to heal her. So Jesus says, okay. And he starts walking, moving toward the daughter. But a crowd interrupts him. He does a healing there. And then the daughter dies while he's not, hasn't gotten there yet. And, um, and so the news comes, uh, while Jesus was still speaking, it's found in Mark 5, 21. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, I love what he told him. You might want to write this one down too. Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Here's something that we need to realize in the middle. Just because you're in the middle doesn't mean God's forgotten about you. <laughs> it's not like God's going, oh, I forgot I left you in there too long. Here, let me. No, God knows exactly where you are. He knows you're in the middle of whatever it is. And it could be in the middle of something bad and it's not getting resolved. I had a guy to me, <laughs> I had a guy come to me after the last service telling me just the most awful thing. And tomorrow the whole thing will come to a head and he'll either go to jail or not. And, 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 and he proclaimed his innocence. I'm like, that's, you're in the middle, buddy. You are in the middle of something. For some of us, it's just, I haven't found that, that mate yet, to, or I haven't gotten that job and I kind of feel like I'm not getting where I want to go. Or we're not, for some of us, it's, we're not achieving. For some of us, we're just drowning. For some of us, it's, we don't know what it is. But in, in that middle, God has you there. That's what you need to realize. He knows where you are. 
He didn't look away and forget you were there. He knows exactly where you are, and you were there for a reason. Maybe it's to influence somebody else, maybe it's to touch their lives, or maybe it's for you. Because here's what happens in the middle. When we look at the middle and understand the middle right, the in-between, we realize that it's in the middle that I become. I, that's what's happening in your life as a Christian. Between the time you became a Christian and the time you go to heaven, you are becoming in your character, in your, in your faith development, even in your expression and practice of your gifts and abilities, you are becoming, and I believe, something that God will use in eternity. You are becoming. If we can realize that the middle is not just a waste of time to just be survived and made it through, it is a time of becoming. If we look at it that way, we let God shape us and form us, teach us faith, teach, teach us courage, Teach us all that we need if we realize that that's what's happening in those times. We can, with God's help, we cannot just make it through the middle. We can thrive. We can become more like Jesus. Um, don't be afraid. Just believe. The point of becoming is more than the passage of time. It is the shaping of your character, of your person. There is such a thing, and I kind of think, this phrase I wrote down, I kind of like it, it is, is the, to, in, in Scripture, when it talks about waiting, it doesn't just mean sitting there like, it's waiting expectantly, waiting for God to bring deliverance, waiting for God to bring that next thing, waiting and preparing yourself. That's a, what a part of what, what it means. It, it, to wait, here's the phrase, to wait productively. There are ways of waiting, it is going, oh, just a second. But there are ways to wait productively so that I am growing and I am becoming even as I wait for God's next step for me. Um, in that process, we embrace it, we engage mindfully in it, and we can exchange our fears and doubts for faith. Um, when Jesus finally arrived where the little girl was in verses 40, 41 and 42, he says something to the effect of, get up, sweetheart. Takes over the hands, says, get up, sweetheart. You see, it looked like a deadly detour. It looked like his pausing to heal this other woman to cost this little girl her life. Everybody thought that she was dead, she was gone. She just says, Everybody get out except except you and you. And and they stayed there and he says, Get up, sweetheart. And they look at dad and says, Now get her something to eat. And dad's going, Okay, I can do that. Because what looked to everybody else like a deadly detour was just God arriving on time. There's an old song about he may not be there when you want him, but he'll be right on time. See, God doesn't take us out of our situations when we want. He takes us out when we're done, (laughs) when it's cooked, (laughs) when we've become who we're supposed to be for this next part of the journey. He's always right on time. We we want out immediately. This is just uncomfortable. God's going, yep, that's what's going to grow you. That's what's going to help you. We need to trust him that his timing is perfect. His plan is perfect. And then we need to follow him. Let him lead you. So my little, uh, my youngest uh, granddaughter, little Noelle, learned to walk the last couple months. And, uh, and so she was here the other day out in the lobby and there was a meeting going on. So I decided I'd just take her off the side because she was going around and, and uh, just greeting everyone because she's like the mayor. I don't know. She just has to say hi to everybody. And uh, so I said, okay, come on, hon. And I put my hand on it. She just looked at me like, and she just toddled off where she wanted to go. 
So I went over again and said, honey, come follow me, sweetheart. Come on. And she looked at me again like, what are you doing? And it just went off the next place. And she just wandered around, just wobbling all around and seeing everything shiny. And, and I realized that she's learned to walk, but she's not learned to follow, which is really cute. But if she's still doing that at 12 years old, we got a problem, <laughs> right? She is between crawling and, and, and following. She's got to learn. See, a lot of Christians like that. Just walk around. <laughs> and God's going, um, hon, sweetheart, I got this destiny over here for you. I got this thing that's better than anything you're going to come up with or see. Okay, take my hand. And like little Noel, we're like, <laughs> look, something shiny. <laughs> right? We need to learn to follow. The thing you learn best in the middle is to follow him. You learn to follow him. Okay, I'm going to tell a horse story. My family hates when I tell horses stories. I used to have this horse, a beautiful horse. She was an Arabian uh, and quarter mix, half Arab, half, uh, and she was beautiful. She was incredible. And I rode her, and, and she knew me, and I knew her. And this horse, I could get on her, no bridle, no halter, no saddle, just jump on her back. And it was almost like she knew what I was thinking. I didn't even have to make a sound. I don't know if I was moving my weight or if I, my knees. I don't know how I, how I was controlling it. But she knew when I wanted to turn left, she'd just go left. And when I wanted to turn right, she'd go right. She could, it was almost like she could read my mind. I'm sure I, I was giving body signals in some way. But, but it, she was just so in tune. You see, when we talk about following Jesus, we're not talking about just keeping the commandments, you know, and trying not to break the law. It's being so in tune with God that when, when he leans, we go, oh, yeah, we're going this way. Right? And when he leans forward, oh, we're moving fast. He says, whoa, we stop. You say, well, that's just a silly illustration. The other day, I was, uh, it's about three weeks ago, I was um, going to lunch and, uh, at a restaurant I go to pretty often. I was heading to lunch by myself. And on the way there, I had this thought, don't go there. And I thought, no, I'll eat healthy. Really, I will. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> A lie from the pit of my stomach. But anyway, um, so I just had this thought. It came back to me again. It's just a thought. It's like, don't go there. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I, I, I figured it was just me. But okay, I won't go. And about that time, I had this thought, go here instead. And it wasn't a restaurant. I'm thinking, there's no food there. Why would I go there? I don't want to go there. Well, it was a piece of business I needed to take care of. And so I, I, so I, I pull up there and I, I do whatever I need to do. And I'm going to leave. And all of a sudden, uh, somebody from the church pulls up. Hey, how you doing? I said, I'm good. You got a minute? I need to run something by you. I said, sure. So for the next hour, I sat there and talked to this person about this opportunity that God seemed to be providing for them and, and just encouraged them and gave some feedback and we talked about it. And then on the way home, it dawned on me that wasn't me telling me not to go to the restaurant. I was supposed to be at that other place. I was supposed to show up there because somebody I know needed some encouragement. It's all. They need encouragement more than I needed food, Okay which is kind of a given, I guess, but, right? Wouldn't it be something if the Holy Spirit's just trying to work in our lives and go, now, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but it has a potential of affecting a lot of people in a really positive way. And all it was, the Holy Spirit going, over here. You see, this thing in the middle is about learning to listen to God's voice. And that doesn't happen to me very often, okay? Really, obviously, I don't get told not to eat very often because... I don't listen, evidently, but, 
But what if it is like that? What if it's in the middle part? It's learning to listen to God's voice and and it's leading and and it's prompting in ways that can impact other people's lives. What if that's really what you're learning in the middle? Wouldn't it be worth spending a little time in the middle to learn that? So you can live this great adventure of following his Holy Spirit into into impacting lives. And you say, oh, that's a lot to ask for. That's exactly what I think you're supposed to do. I think I'm supposed to do it. Let me let me kind of finish this up. I think we're supposed to settle what's true in our lives for in the middle. I think we're supposed to submit to the process of the middle. And then I suppose I, I think we're supposed to speak truth while we're in the middle to ourselves, to others. It's interesting that happens in the in-between time. The interruption in, G, in Jesus' journey from going to Jairus' house and getting to Jairus' house is in the middle of a woman touched probably part of his garment, tassels or something, and was healed. And Jesus did the weirdest thing. This poor lady had an issue of blood, it's called in the King James, probably some kind of hemorrhaging, that made her unclean for worship and socially unclean for many, many years. And she's embarrassed and she sneaks up and does a drive-by healing, touches his thing. And why doesn't he just let her go? This poor lady has been excluded. She's been ostracized. She's been embarrassed. All these, why did he call her out? But he did. He called her and I said, wait a minute, who touched me? I was going, lots of people touched her, hundreds of people. No, no, somebody touched me. I felt the power go out from me. Somebody touched me. It's not like Jesus didn't know who she was. Jesus is making a point. She finally goes, and she, it says, trembling and fears, it was me. And here's what he did. He goes, and he, here's what he says, and he, could, he called her out because he wanted to teach her something and everybody else something. He said, it was your faith, not luck, not superstition, not coincidence. It was your faith in me that changed everything for you. He wanted her to know the source of what was changed in her life. He wanted her to understand that it was a relationship with him. Just even that momentary touch was enough to change her. And then he said, now your life is going to be different. He said, it was faith, now live in peace. Because you have come in contact with me, Live in peace. What's the point? The point is, do you think all of that suffering, if it had ended earlier, she would have ever met Jesus? Do you think if by some other means it just stopped and went away, she would have been bold enough to come into this rabbi's presence and meet Jesus and receive not only healing, but peace? Sometimes you're in the middle for a divine appointment with God because he wants you to be someone to be somewhere, to do something that matters for eternity. So um, the way I'm going to end today, I'm going to tell a little story that some of you have heard before. It happens to be true, which is good. Um, and uh, I just mentioned our, our uh, um, teaching team, and they said, you need to tell it. I said, well, I've told it before. And so now a lot of new people, you need to tell it again. And it's, it's how this, app, this principle, one of the ways it has applied in my life over the years. I was on staff at a large church in the suburbs of Chicago many years ago right out of college, and um, I went to that church to do youth ministry. I told the pastor when I went there, I probably was going to start a church someday, and he had started that church, so I knew he understood that. I was there about nine years, and um, I was feeling strongly that maybe I was supposed to start a church downtown Chicago on the North Shore, which if you know that area, it's, it's beautiful, but it's uh, challenging. And a friend of mine had started one down on Michigan Avenue, and I felt like maybe I was supposed to do uh, up there a little bit north. And uh, so I went and I presented the idea. Nothing, no, no plans, nothing, just the idea. Just uh, this is something I'm thinking about. And uh, I remember one afternoon I just went in and told him, and um, he said, uh, oh, okay. 
And that was all he said. And so I left. The next day I arrived at my office in the morning and this envelope was on my chair, my desk chair, the chair at my desk. And um, for some reason I had this instinct that um, I should pray before I opened it because it, it, it probably was going to determine my future in some way. And so I, I literally, on my knees, knelt down on my knees at my desk chair and prayed, God, help me hear what I need to hear from this, good or bad, otherwise. Because in the meeting, there had been no input. And I, 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 I respected this guy, loved this guy. He had mentored me more than anybody in my life, except my dad probably at that point. And I'd worked hard and done a great, I, I really had done a good job. Um, and, and, uh, and so I didn't know what I was going to say. And that church gave over a million dollars a year to missions and stuff like that. So it, it was very possible. He'd just say, great, we're going to support you. Let's do it. So I prayed, and then I opened it, read it, and it's five pages of no. Five pages of no. I was 28 years old. This is what I'd, always, I'd, I'd want to do ever since I committed my life back to Christ. It's no. And, uh, and each of the pages contained different reasons why no. None of them were true. I said I was disloyal. It wasn't true. I'd never been more loyal to anybody in my life. Um, this, that, the other thing. The only thing, the negative thing this guy had ever said to me my whole time working for him is that I was late. Don't be late. That was it. And now I got five pages of no from the guy I respected most on the earth except my dad. What do you do with that? So I went to, we had an old guy on our staff, a football coach, former football coach. And I said, Coach, um, I, I really felt like I was supposed to go do this. And the pastor said, no, what should I do? And he gave me a wonderful piece of advice. I remember where I was standing when he gave it to me. He says, here's how I look at these things. I will keep doing the last thing I knew for sure God told me to do until I hear the next thing for sure God tells me to do. And so for two years, I worked in that church. I worked hard. I brought him some great gifts. I really believe I did. I brought some change. Um, and I, I did some good things. And the whole time, I, here's what I felt like. I'm being honest with you. The whole time I felt like I was a mouse and God had me by the tail going like this, just holding me out there, just twisting in the wind. And... Uh, I went to, uh, I, I, was, I was kind of just doing whatever I needed to do. I didn't know what to do. And that desire was still there for me, but um, it had been no. And um, I got a call to come to California and to see a little church that the windows had been broken on, the doors were falling out, had zero parking spaces, no income, very few people, most of them left almost immediately. And, um, and I heard God's voice. I knew for sure. My wife took a little longer. She's a little hard of hearing sometimes, spiritually. <laughs> and heard God's voice. And I said yes. And the minute I said yes, God brought provisions. He brought a place to live. He brought enough income for us to survive the first year. He started doing stuff. But you know what? I wouldn't have said yes if I hadn't been dangling in the, in the, in the middle for two years. You know what I realized in the end? I thought this was a coffin for my dreams. And it was just a time capsule. So God said, now it's right. Now's the time. I had the right what? I was supposed to start a church. I just had the wrong when and where. God knew better. So it wasn't a coffin at all. Just to wait. Just, just wait. I'll, I'll get you there. Got a few more things you need to learn. More things you need. I got to get you a little, more, a little more in tune with my will. A little more in tune with my voice. I'll get you there. I now say I pastor the same kind of people, but, but better weather. Maybe having a baby, maybe getting married, maybe finding that right job. I don't know what the maybe is in your life. I don't know what the in-between is in your life. God does. He knows. He cares. He hasn't abandoned you. 
He hasn't forgotten you. Maybe you're a person who's between believing and not believing. You want to believe, but you just can't quite get there. It's okay. There's a guy, New Testament said, I believe now, Lord, help me in my unbelief. (laughs) Already, not yet. Whatever you're facing right now, wherever you are, God loves you. And his plan for you is better than your plan for you. And you can trust him, even in the in-between. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good. I say this not just from an objective perspective of your character and who I know you to be from Scripture, but in my own life, you are so good. You have been so good to me, and I'm nothing special. I'm just another one of your children who needs your help every day. Lord, whatever the in-between is in this room, I don't know if somebody's facing jail time or somebody's just got a week sober, or somebody's in a marriage that just doesn't seem to be getting better, or somebody's got a kid that's just running the wrong direction. There's as many different stories in this room as there are people, but you know every one of them and you care deeply about each one of them. Lord God, you care about us. And when we feel like we're in between, we feel like we've been forgotten, we feel like it's not going anywhere and we're so tempted to reach out for something that we think will fix it or something will at least relieve the pain momentarily. Lord God, I pray that you will remind us who you are and how you feel about us and that you have very specific and wonderful intentions for us. Lord God, in the in-between, be with us, encourage us, strengthen us, shape us, and grow us. And Lord, eventually you will use us for your kingdom, and there is nothing better than that. I pray that you will touch every life here today. Give them the courage. Give them the the capacity to trust you, to put their faith in you, no matter what. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you guys. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.